Hello and welcome to Molding Masculinity. I'm Tom McFarland. I'm here with Philip Sipe today. And today we've got a lot. Uh, we, we had to hit the record button because we couldn't stop ourselves from diving into it before we even began the episode. Um, we're busting myths. Uh, Philip, do you want to introduce us to our myths? Yeah, so today I thought it would be good to tackle um, some a set of myths that's kind of from the men's sphere, um, manosphere type thing. Um, and just sort of talk about um, particularly uh, three arguments that are kind of at the core of um, the sort of incel, involuntary celibate ideology um, and sort of talk about those, uh, what they have right, which might surprise you, they have some actually validity to some of the things that they say. Uh, but before, you know, we get up and, and, and cancel me, uh, not a lot. <laughs> Uh, they even the things they get right are often misapplied. So, um, but we're going to talk about what they get right, what they get wrong, uh, and we have three sort of like major um, topics to sort of cover, which is kind of their the sort of like uh, Chad Stacy analysis, how they um, identify you know people and categorize them. Uh, and then we're going to talk about their sort of analysis of the interactions of people, aka like what you think of as like the dating marketplace or the sexual marketplace. And then we'll talk about um, sort of some of the cascading effects of of the incel communities and and how they sort of build out a worldview uh, and where the um, problems in that lie. So. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. I mean, yeah, this is, uh, and, and before we dive entirely into them, I do want to give a little bit of a, I don't know if refresher would be the right word, but a brief, I guess, an aside of like what the incel community that we're like, what it is. Um, and it is, there's the online portion of it that I think is what we always get the most attention to. And one of the biggest things I run into with a lot of friends and other folks uh, that I talk about some of these topics with is that they they don't really think it they get, it can't really be real, right? Like it, that it seems like a meme. Like these are guys who are like a joke that isn't really real. Um, and well, they are like both the direct self-described incels, the online message boards that community is real also what i think is perhaps more in more endemic more problematic and more toxic is how these ideas filter out this is very much like QAnon. like there are a lot of conservatives that you are like conservative minded people like people we have in our family people who are loved ones who don't like profess to be QAnon people, but they've got these ideas that have been filtered down to them from the QAnon sphere. And I feel like that's the same thing that happens with the incel community, is these ideas then filter down into the rest of the manosphere and then into the rest of just like general uh, boys and men pick up and learn. A lot of the stuff we're going to talk about today are things that even in the like late 2000s, I learned or heard about or picked up from other men in my vicinity and sphere like 
uh, pretty much all of it. Um, and then like later on, I heard about it. And I'm like, oh yeah, no, I used to hear about that from, you know, what various guys I knew who like, I knew they're like, you know, this is not okay the way they're, uh, looking at these things and processing these things. But yeah. Yeah. And to be clear, like, you know, it, it's a joke in the sense of like, it's kind of funny to think about like people who's like center their identity around the fact that they, uh, want to have sex, but can't, uh, that's kind of funny in just like a baseline comedic sort of way. But like, uh, the outcome of these communities is absolutely not a joke. Um, you know, they're beyond the immense amount of harm they do to their own members. And they are, it is a giant community of like perpetual perpetuating self-harm. Um, the, the outcome of their sort of the way they outline the world, um, absolutely does not, um, uh, is not consequenceless. Uh, there's shootings, uh, injuries, suicides, um, all tied into, um, this. I mean, there's more than 10, uh, instance of instances as instances of homicide and suicide related to, uh, that have been directly tied to, um, the incel ideology and community, um, uh, and, but, you know, like any given community, it's a bit complicated. There's, uh, you know, there are aspects of their community that actually, you know, that do reject that violence and um, try to be a little bit more inclusive. Although I think um, they're kind of hamstrung from the start when it comes to that. Um, but, you know, I, I, I want to be clear that, you know, this is a complicated topic um, we're going to be doing some myth busting of some, some things that are kind of important to the ideology. Um, but, you know, it's not like, um, they're not all a bunch of like greasy basement dwelling, like people that complain about how women don't like them because they, uh, you know, are ugly or whatever. It's, um, it's a multifaceted, complicated issue with a lot of, uh, competing sort of thoughts and spheres and and whatnot um but we're going to be tackling some some of the bigger picture stuff in this episode um you know there are researchers who can go into the incredible you know multifaceted details of you know the the reality of these communities um so if it's if for some reason that interests you um you know just know that we're not going to be able to capture that in our conversation, this is mostly about taking sort of like the big picture arguments and, um, you know, examining them. Yeah, I, I, hundred percent. Uh, so let's go ahead and dive into it. Uh, the first, uh, the first topic that you mentioned to me was one that I, I, I can't even put my thumb on why, but I find almost the most fascinating of all of the stuff at the core of this. And that is the, uh, skull shape uh the 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 chad tracy uh stacy i think yeah stacy yeah yeah that that yeah. whole framework yeah so to give uh those who may be unfamiliar with it the sort of summary is that uh one of the sort of founding 
ideas of sort of insult ideology is this this sort of conceptualizing the world into a handful of different categories there's there's like uh the chads which are like the like you think of them as like hyper masculine type people like you know muscly and you know, chiseled jaw and you know you know physically very attractive uh they imagine them as like you know sleeping with tons of women and uh you know kind of what they imagine um society um society's ideal sense of what a man should be is um a lot of the things about the chat identity are actually things we've discussed on this podcast episode on this podcast of being bad ideas uh things that uh the incels reject which i think rightfully so in a lot of cases a lot of the things aspects of this sort of like archetype that they have in their head are bad um and but uh you know they're they see them as as bad almost in this like envious way of like uh uh that sucks and no one should like that but they do and i wish i was that because i want to be liked um and so it's a it's an interesting sort of uh and this will pop up again and again uh an interesting tension of recognizing some aspects of toxic masculinity or, or other societal ills that are that that they're not that their identification of the problem is correct but their response is instead of saying therefore we need to change that to be a different perception we need to change the perception of what's good and attractive or whatever to um something else it's um sort of just an envy of uh it's not fair, but now I just wish that I was them and now, you know, we'll get into the, the cascading effects from that later, but yeah. Um, yeah. And I feel like a lot of this also tends to wrap into, um, uh, alpha beta, uh, framework as well. And then also Sigma, which that that's a whole other thing to dive into, but, um, but yeah, yeah. Like the uh, Chad, I think is kind of, equitable to what you hear as, as described as an alpha in certain frameworks and uh manosphere uh areas right yeah so i think uh like the uh oh i guess they just say like the incel like is the in, is the inverse of the chad yeah so yeah. it's like or the virgins and then they just outright just call it that um so but interestingly, like um, they also have a um, a uh, a pair of female archetypes as well, of um, like the um, Stacy, which is like the like the super problematic like uh, bombshell woman type of archetype of like you know very curvy uh lots of makeup big long hair typically like platinum blonde you know uh uh imagine them as a gold digger and uh then they have this uh, different archetype of the becky of like kind of like the um almost like the incel female but not quite it's like um it's almost like an archetype invented to wrestle with the fact that there are like women that also like identify as voluntarily celibate or whatever. Um, 
but like you know um they're more like plain like uh like is the sort of archetype uh you know wears loose clothes and you know isn't curvy and uh you know kind of just throws their hair up in a bun or whatever like it there's a lot of this like um like it's playing into a lot of like misogynistic tropes in the same way that like their whole chat identity plays into a lot of like misandrist sort of like um toxic masculine tropes they're two female archetypes play into different misogynist tropes of like either being like, uh, you know, um, um, curvy slut that only cares about money or whatever, or, you know, uh, a flat chested plain girl who is like, uh, you know, not, um, who really secretly wants to be like the other girl, but can't for some reason uh doesn't have the money doesn't have the body doesn't have whatever um to do it um but it, it imagines it's, it's sort of like the female version of the incel uh but one which they have to specifically ascribe that that a, a primary feature of the becky is that she wants to have sex with a chad Right, which because otherwise, because you, you run into this problem of like, oh, well, why can't like if you've got women in the incel community, you've got men in the incel community, and they're both heterosexual, like, why don't they just get together and solve this problem for each other? But like, there has to be some sort of like justification there. And that's it. You know, it's like, oh, well, they don't want to just settle for whatever. They got to have like the good stuff or whatever, like, which is just super dumb. Uh, but yeah. So, to, to get into specifically what I had mentioned um, prior to starting recording, yeah, one of the ways that they identify the difference between a Chad and an incel is this like skull shaped stuff. It's like a pseudo phrenology of like, you know, uh, like a, some millimeters of bone make the difference between, you know, like a, a chiseled jaw and like a, you know, uh, a virgin like weak jaw or whatever. And like that's the thing that like, you know, is the difference between a truly masculine guy and not, um, and, and uh, it's it's super weird, and it reminds me a lot of the sort of like phrenology type stuff that uh, like people use to justify racist ideology, in uh, you know not that long ago of like you know trying to prove black people are inferior based on skull size or skull shape or something like that. Uh, and it strikes me as like it's it's so weird to me that like somehow like these these random ideologies like always feel the need to like somehow like justify themselves based on the skull like I don't know what it is about the head <laughs> the head bone but like something just like they always just get into this like weird space where it's like uh like you know how we can you can tell we're right like have you ever seen the shape of a person's head like it's very strange well and I, I feel like in this case it's something that is very easy to cling on to is a sort of it's just a mechanism of because i mean like most commonly when i've encountered this one it's not so much from an ideological point of view as it is a defensive strategy of okay you're frustrated because um but you know it what whatever part of your character and 
personality and individual characteristics don't match what you think are sexually attractive, then change those. And so the skull shape thing is kind of like, I can't change it. It's the shape of my skull is the problem. And it becomes this uh, thing that like almost ascribes like why, uh, well, yeah, the Chad is like more jacked than the incel is or then you know like you know well but i can't become jacked because that isn't going to fix the problem because it's really just my skull shape and i've even seen this dive into like talking about uh one of the things that is an element of this is, that i've encountered you know like a lot of the guys i've met and also this dives into some like elements of i i think we get it in our head that, like, the entire incel community are just, like, yeah, shabby guys in a basement somewhere. Um, a lot of these people that I've met in the real world are just regular dudes who are objectively attractive, um, but have it in their head that they aren't. And a lot of times it's because they have these kind of toxic ideas and beliefs and therefore, like, no, they're not attractive uh, in that, like, you know, after the first date you really get an idea of, like, oh, no, this dude is all red flags, I'm gonna run away. Um, but they've convinced themselves that it's, well, yeah, no, I'm in physical shape and all of these other positive things about me. I've got money, I've got, you know, a house, I got a car, I got all these things, but my skull shape is wrong. I don't have to work on my personality or, um, be more emotionally available or be less abusive. It's my skull shape. Um, I, I feel like that's often kind of like that. Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, for sure. It's, it's one of those strange things where, you know, um, it's, it's the big problem with, uh, with a lot of ideologies that, that rely on a sort of confirmation bias to get by, you know, like, there's just like, evaluated in an empirical sense, right? Like this analysis of the world is like completely fucked. <laughs> like, there is no way like it does not take a lot of research it does not take a lot of expertise you do not need a degree in sociology to take the incel thing apply it as a model to the real world and immediately run into failed prediction after failed prediction right you know uh and they try to adjust for this it's like okay um how do you explain the fact that there are unattractive men who are happily married and are that way for years it's like oh well uh there's this uh well, you see, we have this uh, Chad Chad fucks and uh, beta bucks dynamic where uh, uh, what happens is women have let sex with lots of Chads and then they settle for a beta male later because that person has a bunch of money uh, and then uh, later, you know, uh, cucks them and divorces them and stuff. It's like, okay, but they're not always, like people don't always get divorced. Like that's not, and and also like, there are plenty of people who are unattractive and poor and married happily. Like, uh, like it doesn't, they don't have an answer for everything and it gets increasingly contrived and increasingly ad hoc in a way that any like rational sort of logician type person would be like, this is an ad hoc explanation. You're just making up shit as, as you go to try to justify a preconceived notion that you have. It's obvious that you're leading with your conclusion here. Uh, this is a bad way to do analysis or critical thinking and yeah okay so it fails the critical thinking test uh 
but like that that's kind of the the way that that kind of goes right is is you have a a problem where um you have a group of people who have some sort of formative experience uh and they treat it as fixed they 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 become convinced that that um there was nothing they could have done nothing that they had no agency in that kind of negative experience some experience of rejection or whatever and and now in order to make that work in their head in order to they have to invent an entire worldview to justify it and it gets increasingly convoluted um to uh in a way that is very similar to like a lot of like cults and stuff of people who get trapped into these sort of things where um you know they make one mistake and then that kind of snowballs into a whole set of things where until like you get people who have like phds and stuff who like get caught up into some sort of like cult that like everyone goes like you're way too smart to get caught up in that and you're like well it's not really about intelligence like it's not that the person's dumb it's that like they they didn't stop or didn't have the people in their life to to make them question the thing they needed to question in the moment and then by the time they did it they had sort of gotten deep into it that it would that takes like a, almost a degree of specialized expertise to even get them out of it um but yeah it, it's 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 weird that the way this manifests ultimately is like uh skull shit <laughs> well and with it with the skull shit specifically i think there is a thread that can be followed back here um into well, eugenics to be blunt um yeah and that for the same reason that eugenics became popular and became um this very like strong thing you know with the, with the existence of phrenology and um uh as it moves yeah like because i mean it, it and, and also this falls into part of the problem with it is that it requires genetics to be in, in play, right? If you've got a mis magically powerful jawline that makes you into a Chad, you had to have uh, like gotten that through genetics. It had to have been hereditary. Uh, generally, we understand that most like facial structure, bone structure, has like a genetic element to it, and of course a randomized element to it. But uh, it it. <laughs> This is an argument I've gotten into with folks who have argued that it is impossible for unattractive people today to have sex. And I like I've made a quip of like, well, well it wasn't a problem for like our ancestors. Uh, and, and then they'll argue, well, back then there weren't all of these hyper attractive people. There weren't Chad's and Stacy's back then. And that that you can't well then where did that come from like that didn't just appear out of nowhere, um, so that's an initial just error in the in the con you know, in the structure. Um, but and also, it's ahistoric. Like go back to yes. any culture, you will find people who were revered for super being. And, I mean, like 
we have examples of this like uh, in women in the form of like Helen of Troy or Cleopatra. We have examples of this in like men in the form of like Mark Antony or uh, um, and even just uh, old photographs. People like Greek, mytho Greek mythology, stuff like that were thought to be, you know, potentially real, like uh, Odysseus or whatever. Um, like, and, and like, this is not new. <laughs> like, it's not a new phenomenon. Sure, certainly the internet has certain influences on it. And like, you know, I think we're transitioning here to talking, talking about sort of the, the sexual marketplace idea a little bit. Um, but before we get there, though, I do want to I was just going to say, like, the internet does have effects on it. Mm -hmm. oh, sorry. Yeah, no, and I mean, but you mentioned other cultures, and I think that's something important to point out here is almost this entire ideology and concept is Western centric to an extreme degree. Chad's, Stacy's, like the names, it's all there in the meme formats. It's all very evidently white people. There's also an element of it that is the, I don't want to dive too much into this because it's just getting a little outside of the framework we're trying to talk about, but the trad wife, the traditional wife. Um, which is the revered, like, idealistic woman uh, that exists inside this framework, which is very obviously, like, a very white woman. And it's often, I've seen it in many of the memes that have been generated from the incel community, of it's even directly stating that she is white with white with blonde hair and, like, a like Aryan woman basically uh this is where some of the incel community tends to sometimes get a little nazi adjacent um and i don't mean to call people nazis i'm not it's just certain ideologies do brush into some of that and when you start getting into some of these territories that's where you end up at but my point yeah. to all of this is that it again completely falls apart if you consider the fact that not all human beings on the planet earth are white and it falls apart and it doesn't make any sense to consider within a framework like uh the that that strong jawline doesn't exist in several entire um uh cultures and races that exist on earth but they didn't go extinct because of an inability to procreate yeah for sure and you know i think in general like a lot of the a lot of this is very centered on uh like you can see it in the art that they produce of like if you ever look up like what a chat or a stacy's was look like 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 very obviously like white um they even have special names for non like for non-white uh incels <laughs> uh I, I won't repeat them here because they're uh often um I'll say at the very minimum problematic, um, but there are names for for incels of specific races uh, that um, there isn't one for the white ones. There's those are just incels. Like it's white default, right? Like that. There there is a replication there of the defaultness of whiteness that is. Um, certainly uh very present and uh, does end up manifesting in the fact like it's not a big surprise i think to anyone that a lot of the incel community um is adjacent to or at least near um a lot of the right the far right spaces um a lot of incel sites are just fully alt-right um a lot of um 
other ones that aren't fully there are at least like you know parroting a lot of like right wing type arguments. Um, it, it so you know it, it's not a terrible surprise that like there's there is a element of that community that just goes like outright full um, race realist or whatever. Um, but um, I don't know if there was anything else you wanted to, to say about that. I mean, I think it's important, you know, as we've talked multiple times in this podcast about not trying to delineate good and bad people. Uh, I think this is an important time to note of like, because it becomes really easy to get defensive and we're like, well, I'm not a Nazi. Oh, you're just saying that like incels are Nazis and we're not absolutely not. Um, it's important to note one of the initial things we were talking about in this podcast, the fact that this a big problem or a big part of the issue that this creates in our society is the way that it filters down throughout the rest of our society. And those ideas can filter down without having the direct titles and direct racist or Nazi adjacent material attached to them. And they get a, like dissolved into the culture and this is something that happens a lot in our in american culture um one of the reasons why we have that moment of like you know you know that that thing of like oh everything is racist everything involves race in some form and part of that is because for hundreds of years our culture takes things that are made in an intention like in intentionally toxic racist environments and finds really effective ways at disseminating those products while in those you know, products being ideas while removing them a step away from the racial element you know um, right. so then eventually becomes this part of our system that we don't think of as racist but that's not racist that's just how things are but uh, the most cursory anal analysis unveils that oh yeah but it initially existed because of racial reasons um and i think a lot of this falls into that category it's really easy to grab onto some of these ideas and maybe not even know of the racial connotations behind their creation but that still like that's part of unpacking racism and this task that you have to do all the time in our society because these things get dissolved into our society all the time yeah, and I think, like, uh, to be clear, like, a task here is not necessarily mean, like, an assignment. You know, like, it, here, like, you know, you're 100% you're right, because if you look into stuff like the Southern strategy or any number of historical sort of political movement strategies that, that are very intentionally, in some cases, injecting um bad ideology into and, and sort of repackaging it or putting it attached to different things in a way that like tries to make it invisible as they realize they're losing the the broader culture um there's a sense of like oh okay well we don't want to stop doing this we got to figure out how to repackage this to make it palatable to people who no longer are happy saying um uh, women are less than men or blacks are worse than whites or whatever. Um, and, you know, we like, that is in some sense, the entire conceit of the, this podcast 
is is like you can we is us struggling with that process like i know this from my own struggle in processing elements of masculinity i know it from my own struggle of pressing elements of growing up as a fundamentalist christian like you go years and you know you think like oh you become like like take my christianity like example like i become convinced that like i no longer believe this right like there is a element to you know you think like oh you just don't believe that anymore you take what you believed and you throw it out and you replace it with new stuff but like it doesn't work that way like that that is how you do with like that is what you do with like the surface level stuff like i don't believe this i replace it with a different belief i don't believe this i replace it with a different belief but like ideas are not like little pebbles that you hold and you just pick them up and throw them away they are trees they're plants they have roots and like you might pull out an idea and leave a lot of its roots in other stuff that you think and i have i haven't been a christian in a long time but i still to this day have conversations where i have things that i think that i have i even have examined before and someone says something that lets me see it from a different angle that I go like, oh crap, that was being informed by how, by a religious belief that I no longer hold. And like, I need to think about that again. Or that was a belief that like had to do with my perception of what a man needed to be. And I no longer think that men need to be like this. I need to re-examine this. Like this kind of process is one that it isn't about like you're secretly uh, like a bad person. Like I'm not secretly a misogynist. I'm not secretly a Christian, right? Like I'm not secretly any of these things, but I do have ideas in my head that are informed by things that I was taught or that I used to believe that still have roots in some of the ideas that I hold. And it is a lifelong process of, of finding those roots and various things and pulling them out not not because like i have a homework to do to be a good person but because like everyone has these kinds of things that they are pulling out and reevaluating and all this stuff like no one is no one has like a pure ideology that's totally correct and isn't and is uh free of all bias free of all uh you know pre prejudice or anything like that um it's um it's not a condemnation like this episode for example is not a condemnation of the incel community the idea here is that we point out things that that hopefully someone goes oh i kind of see how that's related to something that i don't like and begins to pull on that thread and then like cuz cuz no one no one unfucks your mind <laughs> from a toxic ideology like that's not a thing that people can do all they can really all the people in your life can do is get it kind of give you the insights that you need to pull it out yourself um and so that's kind of the idea behind any debunking or any sort of like addressing some of these points is to sort of like hopefully trigger in someone the thought of like i think that but i do see where they're coming from that that seems to be attached to some bad stuff that i don't like and maybe i need to think about that some Agreed. Agreed. Um, let's move on. The next topic, I think, uh, the sexual marketplace. 
Yeah, so this gets into a little bit of what we had um, sort of, we had touched on it a little bit in our previous discussion about this goal shit. Um, but um, incels have this idea of a sexual marketplace or the, the sexual marketplace idea is very important to them. And I will say here is where I will give them the most credit. I do think that the dating scene uh, and like sort of the sexual dating scene in particular can be analyzed as a marketplace. And I do think you can get some legitimate conclusions from that. There is a sense in which like uh, there is some degree of like competition going on that results in a degree of like, like people who do and don't have relationships or sex. That said, um, I think that there's a fundamental framing that goes on here that's bad. Uh, but um, I, do, I do think that it's not, I don't think the idea itself is completely fraught from the beginning. I think it's grossly misapplied in this case. Um, for, so like to give you the incel version of this, the sexual marketplace is this is this place where like you know you know take the chat and Stacy stuff we were talking about where like chads go on there and they get tons of women and they get all the women and all these like virgin you know incels are left behind because they're all the women are only having sex with the chads and they're drowning in tons of women and all the sex they could ever want and uh so basically like uh it's kind of like chads are the the one percent of of uh the sexual marketplace right and uh you know stacy's are um here here is where like the you know they the stacy becky thing becomes less relevant like the the becky thing becomes more of like an ad hoc explanation for the fact that every woman isn't like their archetype of a of a stacy but here it kind of disappears a little bit because it's like they imagine women as kind of this homogenous sort of group of people that only sleep with chads. Um, and so like that's kind of their analysis of it. But it fails to take into account some of the most basic data that you come into, into contact with when you start looking at like the dating scene. For example, we have a lot of interesting data that comes out of dating websites. One of which is the fact that like um, there aren't men on dating websites who are drowning in thousands of DMs from horny women. And like, that's not what it's like. <laughs> like they're most of the experience uh, on average here. Now everyone's experience is gonna be unique and different to them. So, but like the average experience is that of men who send lots of messages get largely ignored <laughs> and women who receive thousands of messages from men who many of which are uh, bad, <laughs> uh, inappropriate or like not appealing in some way. Uh, it, it's, it's women who are just being bombarded by messages from men. And um, you know, it, 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 it's, a, it's at least a, a marketplace analysis that fails to consider all the ways in which these, you know, quote unquote transactions, if you want to think of it that way, are going down. In addition to that, I want to mention that specifically, I think there's a problematic um, framing here 
of the idea of like there's a competitive element here and imagining like the end result of like having sex being like a win versus not being a loss or a failure in some way like that imagines all human interaction being about having sex which is just like a shitty way to think about humans interacting with each other um so i wanted to point at that framing at the beginning because it's um uh, the big flaw to me in the entire marketplace analysis um it's also a functionally flawed outlook in that like if you're looking at sex as like this competitive goal in other words like if you're looking at sex as something that ah, i have achieved sex therefore goal complete and there's no further goal you're going to be bad at sex and then you're therefore going to have less of it that makes sense. Like it, it, it's part of the like you know in 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 college we in well I say in college just because the only uh, sex ed that I really uh, got being a rural Midwesterner what happened in college. But in sex ed classes, it's, you know it's like we've started shifting the idea of talking about sex to like being less competitive, like not talking about like first base, second base, third base discussions, and talking about it more like sharing a pizza and or having a pizza or ordering a pizza like what do you you know and then bringing it more into this idea of talking about it as like an activity that two people engage in that can have various enjoyable elements to it and there are various things that you can discuss and talk about and consensually do that increase or decrease the enjoyability of the experience um if you're looking at sex as like a haha i got one i accomplished it i think you're damaging your ability to move forward i sorry i i kind of maybe got off onto a tangent there no but... i mean <laughs> it's valuable in that it exposes the fundamental pro one of the fundamental problems here which is that like um it's a hyper fixation on a particular failure or a failure is not quite the word i'm looking for a particular um thing that the that an insult is imagining they're missing uh that almost by its nature <laughs> um, is a heavily romanticized version of the thing to the point that they start like fetishizing it beyond the realistic application of that thing. So it's like they think um, they think of sex as like this huge, uh, um, you know, accomplishment or whatever. Um, and like, I mean, sex is certainly better than masturbation but like not by like not not to the point that like um you should build an ideological framework right. around it <laughs> yeah exactly like it's not like so so leagues better that like if you don't experience one like if you don't experience like sex with another person that like your your life should be ruined uh like it, it it's not like um it's not like having food you know what i mean like if you don't have food that's a huge problem and the difference between having food and not having food is a big deal like the difference between having sex and not having sex is one of like 
I can see, I definitely like as someone who has had sex before, like I, I, I see why it's appealing. It's great. <laughs> like, sure. But like, I mean, there's even like memes about this now. Like I think like t- on Twitter, like people will post like sex is great, but have you ever like had someone scratch your back for 30 minutes? Like, you know, it's like, yeah, exactly. Like there are lots of pleasures in life that, um, you know, in the right moment with the right, like, uh, environment do compete with that. Like there are like married couples realize this fairly quickly. Like you get to points where you're like, um, honestly, I'd rather just like snuggle and watch a good show. Cause I'm kind of tired. We did a lot of physical activities today and I'm just like, not looking to do another one. <laughs> like, I'd re- like I've had enough of physical stuff. I just kind of want to like lay around and watch a show or something like that's fine. That's normal. Like, like, yeah. I, I, I anyway, it, it romanticizes the whole, the whole thing of sex as being like this, like scoreboard type of thing when it's like, it's just not like that. Yeah. I think the pizza analogy is a lot better of a, a model for thinking about it than, um, you know, some sort of like check mark list or something. And like, and in this, and I'm, I'm, I'm 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 endeavoring to not dive down too much down a rabbit hole. I think we should have an whole episode at some point about dating, but I also think in, in going off of kind of what I was saying a minute ago about like if you're looking at sex as a competition and you're going to be bad at it and then you're not going to have more sex. Also, if you're looking at sex as the end goal of the entire interaction, you're going to be a shitty date. Like nobody wants to be on a date with somebody that you can tell that their entire goal during the date is to have sex like that's it, it's emotionless it's hollow it's not real you're not building an actual interaction with somebody an actual connection with somebody and you're uh, not really feeling like doing anything with them because you don't have those things and i think part of that falls into uh we do a bad job of teaching young men how to build those kind of relationships with people and there is this the, the dating marketplace is incredibly toxic incredibly capitalistic uh and incredibly it sucks nobody who is in the dating community would say that it doesn't suck and uh i'm i'm lucky enough that i have not been in it since uh before tinder was invented but having yeah. watched <laughs> so many friends go through it during like you know and, and i really like i'm <laughs> Ah, trying to not sound like an old person here, but I'm really against dating apps. Not that I think like you're a bad person if you use a dating app or you're going to have only bad relationships if you're in a dating app, but I think dating apps have partly are partly responsible for the breaking of the dating culture in America and like it's commodified it and it's made it into the, such this literal online marketplace. Like if you go through Facebook marketplace and you go through a dating app, it doesn't even look and feel that different. Um, yeah. Well, okay. So I'll actually, I'll say this about it. I, I get where you're coming from and I do agree for the most part. I think that it has a dating apps have this problem that all software has. Um, and I see that as a software engineer, like I see this being applied over and over and over again, is that software efficient like is, is an efficient efficiency increasing type of thing. It automates processes. And it's not news to anyone. The difficulty here is, is that that tends to amplify the things that were previously bottlenecked by those processes. 
So um, before when people just kind of met each other in bars or clubs or whatever, like there's a whole thing about like whether or not that's a great mechanism either, but like, you know, ignoring that for a second, you know, when people just kind of met each other organically at places or whatever, there was a sense of like, you can only meet so many people and like, you know, uh, you like it, you can, uh, you know, you, you do have this sense of like, oh, there's some single people in the area and I'm kind of like thinking uh, who I might be interested in type of stuff. There's a degree of selection going on, but it's tempered by the fact that like, you can only meet so many people. Like there's, you know, you go to this bar and you see the same like four single people. You go to this other bar, you see like three others, you know, like you get kind of a sense of like what your thing is and if you want to meet anyone else you got to go you know the cost of being able to meet someone new is higher software in this case efficientizes that process of finding new people to meet and meeting new people quicker which amplifies the selectionness of it um to the point that it gets a little bit gross in some instances and people who don't have a good filter in their head tend to not handle this amplification very well. You see this manifesting in things like uh, men who send women dick pics or really go hyper aggressive from the beginning. You see this in women and you can go on the Tinder subreddit and see this all the time. Women who message men being like, how tall are you? As like the opening thing to message like that shit sucks and like both of those things suck and they and, and like it stems from the fact that software has amplified a feature of the dating scene that um it that existed before but was constrained by the high cost of finding new people to meet that said there's a different problem that's being solved by this dating software, which is that it's hard to meet new people. Sometimes you go into a dating scene that's relatively small. There's like five single people in your area that are like not like 30 years older than you or whatever. And like those five people are not people that you're interested in or aren't fun. And you have to like go crazy out of your way. Like dating apps solve that problem for you by allowing you to meet a wider array of people. So like, I'm kind of like on the fence about it, ultimately is what I'm getting at in the sense of like, I think that it certainly amplifies some of the problems, problematic aspects of the dating scene, but it solves a different one in that like, you know, you, you do have the opportunity to meet people that you wouldn't otherwise necessarily meet. So it does kind of increase a fluidity that will that can result in better relationships if it's appropriately used. Um, but that's kind of the, but, but, and then that gets into the fact that like, well, you know, these things are monetized. So the profit motive comes into play. Like you get things like super likes and all the stuff that like amplifies the problem even further because the company's trying to monetize it and you get into criticism of capitalism all over again. So here's our, um, you know, what's becoming a weekly episode of why capitalism is bad. Um, but um, yeah, I, I do think that um, dating apps have amplified 
a shitty part of the dating scene in a way that feeds a little bit into um, the incel way of imagining this thing. So this is kind of what I was getting at by saying like they have an analysis that's kind of got a correctness to it, but is misapplied. They're correct in that like the the sort of way that this is treated like a commodity and competitive like sucks. It does. It is. It does suck. Uh, but it doesn't suck because um, eighty percent of women are trying to get with the twenty percent of most attractive men. It's because. Um, it's a, being a part of human relationships is being treated like a commodity. You haven't uh, described yet where we plug the skull shape into the algorithm. Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, that's, that's what uh, the swipe left swipe right is for, right? You go in and if they don't have the right skull shape. You just swipe left and you're done. This is why um, older boomer men always take the photo from their navel and like, you know, looking awkwardly at the camera <laughs> like this. They're, they're gaming the system to, to fool the skull shape sensors. Yeah, it's like uh, it's it's like the male version of like taking the picture kind of like up and and like at an angle for like women. <laughs> like so you get like the slightly down shirt, but also like it's hard to tell like one shape from that angle. So you can like hot. You can like uh, make it impossible to tell, like you know, like if you're heavy or not, like with that angle. Supposedly, um, it's like the male version of that. You can't tell what what like. And I want to be clear here: <laughs> all of these ideas suck. Uh, you should not judge whether or not someone is worth dating based on whether what they're whether or not they're heavy or whether or not they have a big chin or whatever. Like all of these ideas suck. They're we're memeing a little bit about how people manipulate photos to appear one way when they are actually like another way, all to appeal to uh, shitty um, normative sort of uh, stereotypes about attractiveness. Agreed. And I think that kind of brings us pretty well to our last point. Um... Yeah. So the catastrophizing of the incel community is where I think a lot of the harm starts to go into because they, they don't sell these points in isolation. Like if you just kind of believe that like they're, they're Chad's and Stacey's or alphas and betas and all that stuff, like that all sucks, but like ultimately it doesn't lead you down to this like really self-destructive road. It's just a shitty way of analyzing things that like might not get you where you want uh, to be in life. But the problem is that it's not sold in isolation. It's sold as an entire packaging of ideology that comes from um, a phenomenon that I think is actually called catastrophizing, um, where um, you take you you end up performing a giant leap of logic by breaking up that leap into smaller leaps, each of which seems more reasonable than the big leap. So if you took a step back, like if you laid out a set of ten steps, the leap from one to ten is enormous. But the leap from one to two seems kind of reasonable and two to three seems kind of reasonable and three to four seems kind of reasonable. And you kind of convince yourself that like the leap from one to 10 is not actually that big of a leap because you can break it up into things. So let me give you the incel sort of version of this. You know, so imagine you start at step one with some experience of rejection and isolation, right? Like you are. Uh, and to be clear, I am sort of borrowing this example from uh, ContraPoints' video on incels, which is great. You should go watch it. Um, <clears throat> so you start with some experience of rejection and isolation. 
uh, and then you make the, the leap of logic from there that that's because you're unattractive to women. That's not a huge leap, but it, you should recognize that it is a leap. Like you could experience rejection for a reason other than a lack of attractiveness. Maybe you have incompatible personalities or maybe like it could be something as dumb and petty as like, they're never going to date anyone who's into Mario because they like Sonic too much or whatever. Like, like I, I have heard enough from friends in the dating scene to know that rejection is sometimes extremely petty and arbitrary and is absolutely not a statement about one's physical attractiveness in a broad sense. So that that is a way to demonstrate, for example, that even this small leap is in fact a leap and is not, does not follow. This is how slippery slope fallacies work. They make you think that these things are inevitably following from each other when they actually aren't. So um, yeah, so going back to our steps, you experience rejection isolation, you then assume that you're unattractive to women. So then given that you're unattractive to women, you, make the seemingly small leap of I'll never be attractive to any women. From there, you say, I'm not going to, I'm never going to have a relationship. I'll be alone forever. Uh, and because I need a relationship to be happy, I'm always going to be unhappy. And then you go, well, you know what, actually, uh, it's not fair that women get to do this to me because uh, I am a person who just deserves love. And um uh, their standards are unrealistic. And then you go, where do they get these standards? It must have been, they, it, they feel empowered to enforce these standards. So it's feminism that's the problem, feminism empowering women. And then um, you look at like that and then you go, oh, the social you know, movement of the culture at large is one that seems to be pro-feminist, pro-social uh, social justice. And so now this means my problem's only getting worse over time. Uh, and then from there you go like, well, my problem's only getting worse and there's nothing I can do about it. And all of society is against me. Humanity, like my life is doomed. My only option at this point is to just give up, to, to lie down, rot. And then finally, some people will even go as far to, I'm not gonna, instead of lie down and rot, They'll say, I'm not going to take this. I'm going to take my revenge in one last dying breath to, to, to spit in the face of those that kept me down. So you can see the leap from I experienced some rejection to I need to go on a revenge killing spree or even like a step before that from experience rejection to society is seeking to keep me down and I am, my life is doomed at a fundamental level is a huge leap of logic from, from that step to that. But each of those individual steps, you, you probably, any given listener probably exited at some point when an obvious counterexample occurred to them. But the problem is, is that each of those steps individually didn't sound completely implausible. And given that you have the right predispositions to thinking in certain ways, they may even sound obvious. Um, but the but the full leap is enormous. Uh, and that is how catastrophizing works. So like obviously we could go through this and talk about how each individual step is has counterexamples and stuff and stuff where things could go in a different direction at any point in this 
you know, proposed chain of events. But um, I think it's important to recognize that it, it is at its core a giant leap of logic. I think you're 100% right. And I think there's a lot to unpack in understanding how that framework works and understanding how that applies to so many things popping up in our culture and society right now, which includes incel culture, QAnon culture, a lot, just so many far-right uh, things that are popping up right now, um, and also uh, more doom-pilled stuff that exists on the right and on the left. Uh, you've got, you know, even uh, like, you know, in some eco-fascism movements, there's some of this stuff. There's also some of the stuff that just exists in, among just regular people who just get doom-pilled, just start taking these steps and, and end up into that and who eventually reach this, well, I'm just going to shut down and not deal with anything. Uh, it's it's important to note that we are all, you know, this, this kind of falls into the same, I, I think I've said this on the podcast before, and if I haven't, I need to, that we are all susceptible to some kind of grifter. Um, you know, you can, it, 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 it's really easy to talk about grifters as like something that only dumb people get tricked into but the reality is it, like when when you actually look at most studies discussing like uh grifts and scams uh and and their effectiveness among like uh education level and academic level and like you know general intelligence level you don't find actually any real like there's no strong data that somebody of a high college education is actually that much less likely to be taken in by scams and grifts than somebody of a lower education status uh, especially a lot of uh very popular and like famous like you know when we talk about mlms there are specific mlms that are focused towards people with higher educations everybody has a grift for them and this i think the same thing applies with these kind of social structures where you know the, this idea of like yeah that catastrophe catastrophizing mm -hmm. did i get that word right there yeah, yeah like there are there's a niche out there somewhere that we're all susceptible to where we of any education level or intelligence level or academic level can fall prey to that type of system yeah, for sure. And I think it's important to recognize like uh, the, the universality of this in a couple of ways. First of all, if you ever do any research into um, how people get into cults and stuff like that, and I mentioned this a little bit earlier, um, there's some great videos you can find that will go into detail about some of these stories of like, you know, like people like they like cults actually have like extraordinarily like whether or not they're doing it on purpose like you know whatever the case is the ones that succeed are ones that at least stumble into strategies that actually do a very good job exploiting cognitive biases and other flaws in like human thinking you know like they'll get you they'll ask you like generic like for example they'll ask you like generic questions like uh, do you ever feel like you know you're really struggling with things and you don't really know why and just feels wrong like you know vagaries that like pretty much like 90 percent people are like yeah i feel like that sometimes 
you know, and then you get people to like go in for like a little analysis, like, oh, well, we have a solution for that. And then you like go in and then you get them to just like, oh yeah, you know, you definitely show some potential, you know, like if you buy this brochure and you, it's like, oh, well, you know, I feel good about this. Let's, I'll spend 20 bucks on that. And then, you know, you buy this thing and then suddenly you're like, well, I, I am a smart, rational person. I didn't spend $20 on nonsense. Like that must mean there's something to this. And then like, there's a certain snowball that goes off like that. You know, they get you to spend $20 in a brochure to donate $25 to the cause that's like already helped you sort of like turn your life around a little bit. And suddenly you're to the point that you've spent, you know, a few steps of this later, you're to the point that you spent a thousand dollars on a thing and your mind is completely handicapped by the fact that like of it to admit that this is all uh culty nonsense uh you'd have to admit that you wasted thousands of dollars and like you get further and further into it until suddenly like it seems kind of normal like yeah of course like aliens came down and preceded human life on earth and like that sounds crazy to someone from the outside but you know because you got into it you know like uh and and this kind of stuff, this catastrophizing type stuff is exactly the same way. It starts with, importantly, a kernel of truth. Just like the people who start cults, you know, point out like people generally feel kind of malaise sometimes. And like sometimes there feels like there's something wrong and they can't do anything about it. And like, they're not really sure why. And like, similarly, there's a core of truth. People are experiencing unpleasant experience of being rejected. And sometimes, and I want to be clear, that rejection can be super cruel. Like we do not always do, we do not do a good job of teaching kids in general. I don't even think this is like a hyper gender thing. I think in general, like no one sits their kids down. It's like, listen, there are going to be people who want to have a certain kind of relationship with you. You need to know how to be kind to these people as you tell them no, because you're going to, like there are people who are like, "Ah, no, uh, gross, you know, like whenever someone asks them out and that's shitty behavior, like, and it really hurts to be rejected like that. So like there is, there are people who experience truly painful rejection, not just, and not just in like the, like, uh, I pined for my best friend and finally asked her out and whatever, like shitty kind of like, uh, you know, um, you know, nice guy type stories or whatever, like just like people being needlessly cruel. But taking that core of truth and performing a series of leaps of logic to the point that you say like feminism is a cancer on society that is dooming it and is going to make my life a living hell unless I, you know, take up arms in defense of men or whatever, like that isn't it you know like it it's it's a that is you falling into the cult that's you having bought into a thing because it kind of gave you some catharsis early on of like like i get it like in times where you've been rejected and it feels shitty there's a certain catharsis and having people who also experience that like yeah man i experienced that too and you know what like that sucks. Like, yeah, it does suck. And having someone tell you that sucks instead of being like, well, that's dating for you, you know, like feels good. And even though the things they're saying actually hurt just as much, you know, of like, you know what, 
you're right. And the reality is like people like you and me will never be attractive to women. You know, like you go like, yeah, yeah. You know, you've kind of got that catharsis back and forth going and you fall into that. And, you know, suddenly you're, you're in this like really awful position where you're doing a lot of like self-harming mentally to yourself because you know, there was a community or a person or whatever that is exploiting the fact that you had a real experience that was unpleasant and didn't have a good tool to process that. And this is why, like stuff we mentioned previously, it's very important for men, well, for everyone, but for for men in particular who often struggle in this particular area, to learn to process things like their own emotional state in a way that just doesn't turn into blind anger that can be directed in whatever direction that anyone who has a vague explanation of another person, of of your anger being another person's fault can be thrown at you. Because that's where a lot of this comes from, I think, is like men get angry about stuff because it's the only emotion they were allowed to have and now they need to know who they should be angry at. And they're just going to take any explanation that makes a vague amount of sense. Agreed, 100%. And I think that both wraps us up for the day for most of what we had to talk about and kind of brings us right around for what I want to plug. But before I plug, uh, anything else you want to add? Uh, uh all men are kings but not in the bad like oppressive way uh it just you guys are awesome uh like treat yourself well you're not doomed like there are plenty of people out there for you just if you feel like that way reach out to some people like i mean i mean heck reach out even to us if you feel like you have no one else uh like i promise you there are people you can get connected to that will help you build a more positive and productive view of yourself and your life prospects. I agree. And I mean, all of these, these elements of taking things that stem from valid emotions, frustrations and concerns and anxieties um, learning how to process those things and it's something that isn't like blind rage and fury, learning how to process them into ways that you can cooperate and operate functionally and positively within your community to exact change. All of that also kind of sounds a whole lot like labor organizing, like... You know, you know, we 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 joked that every episode right now is becoming uh, how capitalism is the worst uh, this week, um, and yeah, that that's a continuing thread in each of these episodes. So this week, uh, I want to plug uh, local labor organizing that's happening wherever you may be at. Reach out, find out what's happening. Uh, there are a lot of strike funds going out right now because holy shit is there a lot of organizing and a lot of people with a lot of anger and a lot of frustration reaching out to each other and hearing the same frustrations from people right next to them who maybe aren't even politically aligned or ideologically aligned to them in any kind of a way. And those strikes and those organizing movements can't happen without strike funds and support for folks who need rent, 
financial assistance, uh, you know, in whatever form of way that may be. Um, would you like to talk more about our specific uh, strike fund that's going out right now? Because I don't want to say too much of the wrong things. Oh, sure. So um, Red Dirt Collective is currently gathering a strike fund. We've been reached out to by some people uh, who are interested in uh, potentially doing some striking or, or uh, union forming or both. Um, and we are uh, wanting to be a source of support for them so they can do so without getting themselves into a situation where they're homeless or um, otherwise uh, uh, you know, having their life fall apart in order to stand up for themselves is a big problem with a lot of this is like people who need um, some safety nets uh, because uh, they don't have them uh, from society at large. Uh, obviously, we're not going to be able to just like straight up compensate them for everything that they've lost, but we can hopefully keep them afloat uh, for long enough for them to win some very important things for themselves and their um, coworkers. So yeah, um, obviously we'd appreciate any donations to that. Anything that doesn't go directly into the effort that we have in mind is going to go into a generalized strike fund that we will hold for future efforts like this because uh, they will not be the only ones. So yeah, um, donate to that if you care to. Um, but um, if you know, you're know you not in our area, uh, I mean, please look up you know, uh, support and solidarity organizations that are looking to benefit those of us that work, which is basically everyone. Um, and, and, you know, just, it's, it's a good way to plug in and make a big difference. Um, yeah. Yeah. Our strike fund is on Venmo. It is Red Dirt Collective, put in the notes, strike fund. Um, I'll also be sharing uh, links to that and links to that ongoing development as it develops on to our Facebook page, Molding Masculinity. Um, so yeah, thank you all for joining us. Have a wonderful morning, afternoon, evening, or night. Thank you.